Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, podcast listener. Even though you're hearing this recorded show, you can still call us whenever you want. one 929 Our voicemail will take your call. Later, we'll listen to it just as we listen to all of them. And then there's always a chance that we'll decide to have you on the show to ask your question or share your story. On with the show. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Groucho Marx had a way with words. He was an expert at turning a particular kind of phrase, like this one. I've had a perfectly wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. (laughs) Now, what makes these sentences funny, of course, is that the Mm -hmm. speaker takes you down one mental path and Mm -hmm. then suddenly makes a sharp turn and takes you someplace you never expected to go. Love those. Well, it turns out there's a word for this. It's a term of rhetoric, and it's paraprosdokian. Paraprosdokian. Yes, let me spell that P. A-R-A-P-R-O-S-D-O-K-I-A-N. This isn't one of the more common terms of rhetoric, I guess. No, no. But it's it's really handy to have this word if you want to find a whole lot of uh-huh. paraprosdokians on the Internet. It's from two Greek words that mean beyond or beside expectation and has been a staple of comedy ever since antiquity. And now people like Stephen Colbert use it all the time. Does it have to be funny, though? I mean, it often is, and the best examples are, but it could just be unexpected turn of phrase, right? Yeah. That's just straightforward, right? Yeah. Do you have any favorites yourself? You know, I do have one now that you mention it, and it's incredibly short, and I think it is a paraprostokian. Decades ago, when Ronald Reagan was president, Rich Little was famous for imitating Ronald Reagan, right? And Reagan had this particular speech habit that he would imitate. And so one of his gags was he'd do this fake interview thing, and somebody would say, Mr. President, how are you feeling today? And he would go, well... (laughs) <laughs> and then he would just stop because Reagan always did, well, I want to tell you about the, the Russians and the missiles, right? Because you'd expect him to go on. But actually, instead of saying well as a sentence marker, he was saying well as an adverb, meaning I'm well. And it was like just it. perfect, perfect right turn. You're like, wait a second. Oh, oh, it just takes you a second to realize he's not going to follow that up. That is the answer. And it's perfectly coherent. That's it. <laughs> I suppose that works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you've got more. I see a big stack of papers I, there. I do, and I'll share some more of them later in the show, but let me just leave you with this one. Change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. <laughs> Boy, don't I know that one. <laughs> well, this is nice. the place to talk about language, about paraprosdokians or prose or poetry or words and where they come from. Call us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or you can email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Barb, and I'm from Indiana. Hi, Barb. Where in Indiana are you? Evansville, Indiana. Oh, well, we're on the air there. Wonderful. Well, what's up? Well, I have a crazy family word that I would love to know a little more about. Um, It goes all the way back to my grandparents, who are not living anymore, and it goes all the way down through uh, my generation, and my children use it, but I've never heard any other family use the word before, so I thought it would be fun to throw at you guys. Okay. If you're wrestling around with someone or horsing around with someone and you want to be released from that situation, you yell, calf rope, C-A-L-F-R-O-P-E. My husband teases me about it. He's never heard of it. And all the people I've told the story to never have heard of the word before. So I was just curious to know where it came from and how it got started and why our crazy family uses it this way. <laughs> so the kids are goofing around. One of them's got the other one pinned, and the one on the ground in order to get out of it, instead of saying uncle like the rest of the country, they're going to shout, calf rope, <laughs> calf rope. Correct. Uh-huh. You got it. Uh-huh. And one more question, Barb. Is your husband from the same area? 
He is, uh, I say he's a Midwestern fella, but he's actually lived in Indiana, excuse me, Illinois and Missouri and Iowa growing up with his family. So hmm. I claim him as a Midwest boy, but he's really not from this part of the country, no. Okay. But your grandparents, are they from that part of the country? They are. They were from Southern Illinois, and then uh, after they were married, we're in Southern Indiana. Huh, how about mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense because that expression is spread around that area, smack dab in the middle of the country. Okay. And in Texas, Oklahoma, right in that area. How about that? So there's more than just Barb's family. Barb's crazy, crazy family, I think was, <laughs> was how you put it. <laughs> so your family may be crazy, but it's not uh, because of this particular expression. So we've got okay. a, yeah, there are a couple dictionaries that have entries for this, if you want to find out a little bit more. The Dictionary of American Regional English, which we always talk about. Yeah. Um, and even if you just go to Google Books and look up holler calf rope, you're going to find a ton of places <laughs> going back more than 100 years where it's used in, in fiction and nonfiction. Yeah. Okay. So the image, of course, is of roping a calf, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you didn't calf rope us. We had an answer for you. <laughs> I knew you would. Um, I knew you were way too smart. Cool. Well, great. Thank you. Thanks, Barb. Hey, Barb. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Thank All right. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I know there are a lot of crazy families out there that have a lot of crazy language <laughs> because you call us and you tell us so. And we do so love to hear from you. 877-929-9673. And we really enjoy the stories that you send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Tell us about your family's crazy talk. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Gary Whitlock in uh, Fallbrook, California. Hi, Gary. Well, I was uh, thinking the other day about uh, the phrase, to take a gander, and uh, I'm not sure I've ever actually even heard it, but I have read it and uh, wondered how that came to mean uh, to take a look at something. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Do you have geese or animals of any kind ever lived on a farm? I have lived on a farm, never had geese, but I've met up with some, and they're not very friendly birds. No, no they're not. No, you, if you find a dark alley and there's honking in it, just walk on by. <laughs> yeah, run away, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's really straightforward. Geese have these necks, and they do this strange craning because of the way their eyes are positioned on their head. And so they have a very characteristic movement of the head. And so when people are straining their own necks to kind of look over or beyond or they're in a crowd, right? Martha's right. doing it now. It's mm-hmm. just more like a chicken than a goose, though. <laughs> um, yeah, I think of geese as uh, they look at something, but uh, I'm not seeing it as something that they're, or at least as when you're saying, I'm going to take a gander or let's take a gander. You're not looking intently at something. You're kind of, uh, hmm, you're looking at it as a uh, something something that's just something I'm going to take a, a uh look at, but mm-hmm. I don't have to study it too hard. I don't know if I've got that right or not, but that's what it seems like to me. Well, maybe, but the but in general, it's it's universally agreed among lexicographers and etymologists that the gander comes from the geese. And so maybe it's not exactly what geese do, but it's similar to what they do. You know, they crane their necks, and so do we. And we look kind of silly when we, you know, we stand on tippy-toe and strain our heads up to look above a crowd just to see what's <laughs> happening, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, but Gary, I think you're describing the motion very well. Yeah. And, I mean, I've spent a little time around geese too, and I just even when I think about it now, I sort of sort of um, unconsciously cover my backside. Oh, because they're going to nip you, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going to goose you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take a goose at anything. <laughs> no, and I don't want them taking a gander back there. <laughs> but yeah, that's the idea. It's, yeah, it's, it's straightforward, straight from the male geese. Okay. Thanks for calling, Gary. Okay, well, thank you for your answer. Thanks a lot, Gary. Bye-bye. Bye. Ask us about an idiom, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us, words, at waywardradio.org. We're going to have more paraprosdokians, those statements that take a sharp turn. Okay. Of course, there's the famous one by Will Rogers, I belong to no organized party. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I like that one. Still true. <laughs> and uh, I like this one from Mitch Hedberg. I used to do drugs. I still do, but I used to, too. That <laughs> one cracks me up. Send us your funny turns of phrase, uh, the stuff that just kind of takes the crook in the road and doesn't go back. 877-929-9673 or words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. This is Patricia Blackshear. I'm calling from Frankston, Texas. Well, hi, Patricia. Welcome to the program. Hey there. Well, I have a question. I have a saying that my I've only ever heard my mother use, 
I now use it regularly, as does my husband, and it is too much sugar for a dime. Hmm. And what are the circumstances? Where would you use this? Are you in the grocery store? Is it something at home? It applies to any number of circumstances. The best I can figure is it basically means something that is too much effort for the result, mm-hmm. too much hassle. So if I say let's you know make a suggestion or something, my mother will say, well, that's too much sugar for a dime, and you know, nix the suggestion, whatever it may be. Mm. So it would be not worth the hassle, that kind of thing? Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's very interesting because I have heard this several times, and it either means that, too much of a hassle, or just a little too unbelievable is yes. the other way. Have you heard yes. it that way too? She uses them. My mother uses them interchangeably. Something that's sort of too good to be true. Uh-huh. doesn't quite believe it. Uh-huh. So it's very interchangeable. It took me a while to figure out the the nuance between those two things. Right, yeah. right. Too good to be true or more trouble than it's worth, right? Yeah. Too much exactly. sugar for a dime. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there is an old Merle Travis song from the 50s by yeah. that oh, name. Really? Yeah, yeah. We should link to that on our website. If we can find the original. Do you know the uh, song? Can you sing it? Uh, <laughs> No, but I can I can show you the YouTube clip with <laughs> okay. uh, with Merle Travis singing Very it. Nice. Um, and in that case, it's more of the skeptical one, more of the oh, you've got to be kidding. That's, that, too that's much the sugar one that I found. And, and yeah? I found one person compared it to cotton candy, where they take a penny's worth of sugar and they spin it up so that it's all fluffed up and mostly air, and then they sell it for a dime. Ah. So you have the impression that you're getting this big wad of candy, but really, when you compress it down, it's a tiny little cube of sugar. <laughs> And I thought that was a great, I don't know if that's the source of it, but I thought it was a great way to try to explain it. Yeah. Wow, very interesting. I have never heard anyone else use it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. it's out there. It's out there. It definitely has a southern inflection, mm-hmm. not the kind of thing you're going to hear in the New England, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's got a little bit of history behind it, so it's not new, nothing that came up in the television generation, that's for sure. Very interesting. Well, maybe I will start using it outside of my own home then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's legitimate and not that's... something my mother made up. I think that's safe enough. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to be closeted about it. Just, just I was going to say, yeah. I hear language that's not appropriate outside the home, outside the home all the time. So, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> hey, Patricia, thank you so much for calling. I well, love this thank expression. You thank you all. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Right, I love your show. Keep up the good work. Oh, thank of course. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's too much sugar for a dime. You're always handing me a line. That happens in the best convertible. Always brag about all you got. A swimming pool and a fancy yacht. I'll bet you don't know nothing about a boat. They float. Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, and drop by our Facebook page. You'll find us there under Wayward Radio, and you can email us, words at waywardradio.org. Stay tuned for a mental tune-up of Puzzles Next on Away With Words. Listening to Away with Words, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined once again live on the line from New York City by John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. How are you guys? Hi, what's happening over there? Well, Uh, what I have for you is another radio puzzle hunt. Yay! Remember, I know. I don't remember. Not in the least. Was this more recently than 10 minutes ago? Because I don't remember it. (laughs) Martha asked for this recently. So it's another radio puzzle hunt, like a regular puzzle hunt. I'll give you a clue leading to a location. No, you know, real play. It's a real place in, in the world somewhere. And if you manage to solve it or get to the new location, there'll be a new clue waiting for you there. What do you mean if? I okay. remember now. This puzzle is an around-the-world one. It can lead you any place in the world. Okay. Right, here we, here okay. we go. Here we go. All right. This, this one, the first one's easy, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. You always say that. Yeah. 
Your puzzle hunt begins at the Capitol building in the only U.S. state capitol that consists of three words. Salt Lake City. There you go. Oh, very good. All right. So you begin in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Once you get there, you find a shining golden plaque that reads. (laughs) Go back to to Illinois. Go back back home. (laughs) Go to the Central American country that is the only country named after Jesus Christ. El Salvador. El Salvador, Salvador, right. The Mm -hmm. Holy Savior. Very good. When your plane lands, you spot a cheering mob spelling out this clue. Go to a Caribbean island nation whose flag features a trident head. Now, this is no coincidence. The first four letters of the country name describe a feature of a trident's tip. Trinidad Trinidad? and Tobago? No. No? (laughs) Darn. What feature do you find on the tip of a trident? A hook or a barb? Uh, Barbados. Barbados. Very good. This flag was intentionally designed with that in mind. Is that right? Now, when you get there... You check into your hotel, and all of a sudden, a note is slipped under your door. It reads, find a city whose name answers this question. Name two letters that can be used to make the sound K. KC, Kansas City? No. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good alternate, though. Q-E. How about this? Find an Irish city. County Cork? No. <laughs> Darn, that doesn't Cor- work. Cork is correct. Cork? Cork, C or K. Oh, C nice. He's got K. a C- little There you go, a little chicken oh, there. Oh, C yeah. or K. Yeah, baby. Oh, all right. Man. That's good. I'll accept okay. the feet on that one. It was clever. Oh. That's all right. Thank you. So you go to Cork. And while wandering around, you spot a plane doing some sky riding. Mm-hmm. It reads, head to a country whose name can be anagrammed to Big Mule. Love it. Big Belgium. Belgium. There you are. Head to Brussels or anywhere near there is fine. When you get there, a strange man runs up to you and whispers the following clue. Travel to an African country whose name becomes a woman's name when you remove the first letter. An African country whose name becomes a woman's name when you remove the first letter. Hmm. You're spelling Hannah wrong. Um, (laughs) Rwanda. Rwanda is correct. Very nice. Also the name of a popular movie, Fish. After a day and a night there, your PDA vibrates delightfully and you receive a text that says, Jaunt on over to an Asian city that has a homophone describing a real go-getter. Generally, people are classified in two different categories. Either Taipei. You're... Taipei. Taipei. Oh, <laughs> correct. Oh, Very see. good. Oh, Chineski. As an unusual consequence of all this traveling, you've got some mild hallucinations, oh, one of which involves a talking cat who mumbles the following clue. You need to reach the mouth of a river. If you change the first letter of this river's name, it becomes a word of celebration. It is the longest river on its continent, and its continent is Australia. Oh. I don't know any rivers in Australia. Uh, <laughs> running through Watson, Not even Matilda, the longest? Really. Well, maybe. <laughs> well, uh, give me a word, of, a word of celebration. What do you say when you do something right? Hooray. That's Yippee. it. Hooray. And if you change the first letter, you find a man's name. Murray. Harry? Murray. Oh, Murray. That's right. <laughs> It's the Murray River. Oh, which sorry, is the all you cobbers. <laughs> river in Australia. That's the second time recently you've stumped us with an Australian clue. I got a phone number. I'm my sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You are my mates, and I'm sorry. Murray, Murray becomes hooray, and as in hooray, you've solved all the clues, the last clue at least, <laughs> on the international puzzle hunt. You guys did very, very well. You're being very generous, John. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Thanks, that John. That was fun. If you'd like to send us your puzzle questions or if you'd like to just ask a question about language and words and grammar and so forth, give us a call, 877-929-9673, or put it all in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Lo calling from Oak Park, Illinois. Welcome to the show. How can we help you? you? Well, recently I have a friend who is Caucasian um, asked me whether... I would be offended if someone refers me as an Oriental woman. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, should I be offended? 
and my friend then explained to me that uh, she used to have a colleague from the Philippine Islands who believed that uh, using the word Oriental to describe Asian people is condescending. And now I am Chinese-American, and I have learned English as second language. And I sometimes do use the word Oriental to describe people from East Asia, including myself. So could you explain to me why this word can be offensive and um, in what context? So you don't take offense at the word Oriental, even though you're Chinese-American? Right. I don't. Do you, have you met others? Are there others in your family who do find it to be offensive? No, that's interesting because um, after my friend asked me that question and I asked around uh, my family members and also some of my friends. Now, most of my friends are from Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and I myself, I grew up in Vietnam, and um, nobody took um, that word uh, as offensive at all. So Mm -hmm. that's why, you know, am I missing something? What a great question. It's a fantastic question. Now, let's just keep in mind here that Martha and I are Caucasian, and you are Chinese-American, so it's a little weird for us to be discussing this matter, but we can go to some other experts and and kind of report what they've said. And I, I guess the best thing to say about this is that it's kind of an undecided question, But like a lot of the questions that we get when it comes to referring to groups of people, it's up to the people who are being talked about to decide whether or not it is offensive. It is up to each individual, and there's not a universal that applies here. Okay. And I know that makes it difficult, and I know that outsiders sometimes resent that they don't get to choose what to call another group of people, and that's just tough cookies to them because that's not how it works. It's low. It's up to you. If you decide not to be offended, it's completely your prerogative. But I think that the reason that some people might think that it's offensive is because Oriental has to do with Orient and the East, and so you're sort of getting oriented, if you will, by what's in what's west of the east, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, though? Like it's a European perspective. Yeah, it's a Europeanism. It's definitely one of those words that presumes that European and therefore Caucasian culture, and let's just throw the, just call it the west in general as we know it, is somehow the norm, and those people over there to the east they're other. Right. They're like different. the white they're, Europeans are yeah, the, the center. Not, yeah, they're non-standard. They're different. And there's right. and in that way, it's a diminishing of this other of this other group of people. And so that it's definitely an intellectual argument. It's an academic argument. It sometimes filters down into day-to-day conversation. I have met other people who believe Oriental should not be applied to them just because they're from uh, that part of the world. I've heard some people say Oriental should be used only in the context of rugs. Oh, yes. And nothing else. I also heard that. Oh, yeah, really? Referring to things, but not people. Not people. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I've heard that argument as well. This first comes up in a, as, a, as a possible area of dispute in the 1970s or 1980s. Uh, people began to write about this and to think about this. There's plenty of evidence that has been collected that shows that some people are offended by Oriental. And the word Asian really started to come into play Um, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And in North America, Canada, and the United States, when we speak English, we use Asian typically to refer to people from East Asia um, and not to people from Pakistan, Bangladesh, and India. Whereas in the UK, they use Asian often to refer to people from anywhere in Asia, including Mm -hmm. Pakistan and India and Bangladesh. Yeah, that could could be confusing. It's very confusing. But we tend to specify their nationality or we'll say South Asian. Even though Pakistan isn't very far, you know, very far in South Asia, it's mostly West Asia. So I think I I still can use that word, but I really should um, be sensitive about it, yeah. right? When I speak, use that word um, referring to another group of people. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. I'll just say that you're a great caller and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank I, you, hope, I hope we added clarity. Yeah, it's a great yes, question. Yes, we sure did. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
What are the strange predicaments that you encounter in language? Martha, we get them all the time, and we love to talk about them, don't we? We do, whether we know anything about it or not. <laughs> 877-929-9673, or send it all in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, how are you? Hi, great. Who's this? This is Jeff, Hi, calling, Je- from, uh, calling from Columbus, Indiana. Hello, Jeff. Welcome Hi, to the Jeff. program. Well, my dad used to use the phrase, uh, well, he would say he would use the term uh, one iota. In other words, he would say something like, um, I went to the store and there was no bread. I mean none, not one iota. Mm-hmm. And he used that a lot. And, uh, of course, I grew up hearing that since I was a little boy, so I always knew what he meant. But as years go by, I, I, I question I what that meant or if there was any connection to uh, any, any true meaning to that, that uh, other than just something he used. All right, well, we can definitely help you with this one, Jeff. Iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. It looks kind of like an, a letter I, right? Yeah, only it's tiny. It almost looks like an apostrophe or a comma or something. Okay. Sometimes in some forms of certain Greek words, it looks so tiny, it just looks like a speck that you want to flick off the page. And so Ooh. even the ancient Greeks used the word iota or iota in ancient Greek to mean something that's really, really tiny. So not one iota is not one little tiny thing. Even in the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, all that business about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word to mean Uh, something tiny, tiny, tiny. I see. And this also reminds me of a jot, right? Not a jot of something left, you know, not a jot of tobacco left in the bag, right? Right. Not one jot or tittle. I mean, that that's from the fifth book of Matthew. Right. Very good. And jot yeah. and iota have the same etymological root, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they kind of look like each other, huh? You know, there's an interesting connection to what you just shared with me, which was that my dad was a minister. Ah, ah there you go. go. And was he classically trained? Did he have a little bit of, of, of Greek or, or any of the classical languages? He was not classically trained. Uh, I mean, he, went, he, did, he did attend a seminary and how much... Of this was was brought out in that I, I I have no I have no idea but it is interesting that you connected that uh, mm. as you did and in fact he was a minister so that's interesting to me yeah well as a preacher's kid I can tell you that a lot of the language there gets picked up and is passed on around the family mm-hmm. and to the congregation mm-hmm. like like this one yeah that's really very good to know I had no idea and this is. This has been part of our life, uh, like I said, since I was uh, a little boy, and uh, it's really great to hear what what the meaning of this word is. Well, that just gives us a great deal of pleasure. Thank you so much, Jeff. That's very cool. All right. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. The the religious connection, the Bible connection, reminds me of that new book by David Crystal called Bagat. And he talks in this book specifically about all of the different expressions and phrases and even just kind of unusual words or characteristic words that we have in English that we got from the different versions ah, of the Bible. Okay. And this is one of those. I'm putting that on my wish list right now. Yeah, that's David Crystal's Begat. We'll make a link to the Amazon page for that. Tell us about what your parents used to say, 877-929-9673, or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. We were talking earlier in the show about paraprosdokians, those statements that start out one way and then take a sharp turn Mm -hmm. someplace else. I have a few more for you. How about always borrow money from a pessimist? He won't expect it back. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. And Mm -hmm. speaking of money, save a little money each month, and at the end of the year, you'll be surprised at how little you have. (laughs) I can relate to that. Call us with your paraprosdokians, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you've got a way with words. Hi, this is Evan Childress. I'm calling in from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Evan. Welcome to the program. Thanks. I've long had a problem with the word perused. My mother ingrained in me that it meant um, to read carefully or you know, examine a document um, but it seems like everybody uses it sort of in the opposite way, sort of to, to skim over something or, you know, do a cursory job. Um, mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you um, knew how this shift came about or, um, you know, whether, or whether I'm just wrong about what it means. 
No, Evan, you're not wrong at all. I was going to ask, was your mother a real stickler for grammar in other ways? Oh, yes. She's she's a, a word person and uh, a writer herself. So. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I actually, interestingly, when I, when I was first, I, was, I actually learned the word while I was studying for SATs with her, uh-huh. um, and I, I would continuously get it wrong and, and actually think that it meant to, to kind of read over briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and, and whenever I use it, people, people interpret it in the opposite way. Yeah, exactly. I just try to avoid it entirely because of that confusion. <laughs> right, that's what I would do too. I would just stop using the word altogether. I mean, it's a shame to have to do that, but maybe if we give it a time out, uh, we can go back to it in a few years. Yeah, but the short version is that your mother was exactly right. In fact, the oldest sense of the word peruse means to use thoroughly, to use up, to uh, to exhaust. I mean, it it was a really intense word. And somewhere along the line, people started using the other version of it. Yeah, that's, it's really interesting the way that, that those shifts just seem to happen. Yeah, and it's, it's curious because for a long time it had that sense of reading something very closely, very thoroughly, but it's, it's sort of like oversight, you know? I mean, oh, think about the word o- oversight, which mm-hmm. can mean... A couple of different things. Yeah. I, yeah. I suspect what happened here, Evan, is that uh, people were s- s- reaching for a word that they didn't quite understand in order to sound more sophisticated. And in that way, they, that, that almost always leads to mistakes where people speak with an unnatural vocabulary. And I suspect that peruse was, if you were looking in your thesaurus for synonyms for the word to read, mm, you might choose that, that word without well understanding be. its nuances. I hadn't thought about that. It's uh, yeah. often can... the mistake that people make when they, they want to sound more educated than they are. Yeah. I mean, and that's not a judgment. I'm just saying we all do that. We want to sound sophisticated and formal and might push our vocabulary in directions that ought not go. So you're right. Technically, it <laughs> means to look at something very, very carefully mm-hmm. and thoroughly, to pour over something, P-O-R-E, mm-hmm. over something. Yeah, peruse does not mean just to browse casually and just to skim. It does not mean that at all. Cool. Well, it's of uh, limited comfort since I can't really use it anymore. <laughs> Well, sorry about that. Yeah, it's what they call a what they call a skunked word. It's kind of in its misuse. It is kind of ruined for legitimate uses. <laughs> right. But I bet you did well okay, on well, the SAT. Thanks right? a lot. Yeah, sure, no problem. Thanks for calling, Evan. Bye bye. Bye bye. Language and words, words and language. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. And hey, we'll even answer questions about punctuation. Send them to words at waywardradio.org. More of your calls coming up on Away With Words. Stay tuned. Away With Words is sponsored in part by iUniverse, supported self-publishing. Is there a book in you? Information available at 1-800-AUTHORS or online at iUniverse.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. It's not every day that I read about a museum exhibit that makes me think that I need to book a flight immediately to another country to go see it. This is the one at the British Library in London Mm -hmm. called Evolving English One Language Many Voices. It just opened, and I swear it has me looking at the flight schedules because it just sounds fantastic. Well, book me a window seat because I want to go too. All right. We'll go together then. One of the reasons I'm so excited about it is it's curated by the linguist David Crystal, fan of his. Second, it's a look at English through the ages and some of the greatest icons of the entire language are real right icons, there. Like actual icons, the like metaphorical real icons. things uh. right there under one roof. We're talking about original editions of Beowulf and Wycliffe's translation of the Bible mm-hmm. and the original massive King James Bible. Fantastic. The King... No matter what your religion, if you speak English, you owe a debt to that book, You right? speak some things from that Bible, mm, which, fantastic. by the way, turns 400 next year, you know, 1611. Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of other things like Johnson's Dictionary it goes all the way up to text messaging. Mm-hmm. There are old slang dictionaries, which Wonderful. I know you'd Wonderful. be crazy about. But, you know, I think the most moving object in mm-hmm. that whole exhibit 
is a gold medallion that's about the size of a penny, mm-hmm. and it's inscribed with the words Gagogamagamedu. What does that mean? Well, we're not completely sure, but supposedly it's the earliest example of very, very, very early English from the 5th century. And this is just so thrilling to think that, you know, you could be there and see that thing. They think that maybe it means this she-wolf is a reward to my kinsman because there's an engraving of a Mm she-wolf there with little Romulus and Remus underneath her. But, I mean, this thing just sounds like the English Hall of Fame. It sounds like, you know, I don't know, sure, the equivalent yeah. of a baseball fan going to Cooperstown or something. <laughs> right. I don't know. It just so sounds so exciting. Wonderful. So this is in London. Yep. It's at the British Museum. British Library. Oh, British Library. Yep. And it's when? It's uh, going on now. It just opened. It's going through April 3rd. Fantastic. So um, start racking up the frequent flyer wonderful. miles on your credit card and go. Do you think they have replicas of that medallion? I'd love to have one. <laughs> oh, wow. What is the gift shop? look like. Oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. Grant, we gotta go. We have to go. Let's. Well, while we're doing that, give us a call at 877-929-9673 or send your emails to words at waywardradio.org. Questions about words and language, this is the place. Hello, you have a way with words. Uh, hi there, this is Matthew. I'm calling from Somerville, Massachusetts. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to the program. Thanks a lot. It's good to be on. So I had a question about the phrase learning curve. It's something, obviously, you hear people say a lot, you know, talking about a new skill Mm -hmm. or some kind of sport, and they'll say, oh, this has a steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. And they typically mean that it's difficult to learn. Um, But in my view, I think, well, if the curve is steep, then with very little forward motion, you you get very high, right? So um, it it could almost be interpreted to have exactly the opposite meaning of what's intended. Uh And uh, maybe it's some of my... um, mathematical training. I'm actually a physicist, but I, I think of a curve, I want to see axes, right? I want to know, what, what are you plotting it against? And if the axis is time, you have a steep curve, then very quickly you you rise very high. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, it's one of those phrases that I always um, kind of wondered maybe what was the original meaning? Where, where does that actually come from? Nice yeah. question. Yeah. It's, so the question is, what am I going to plot here on the x and the y axis on this yeah. graph, right? Because yeah, it, right. it, ref- it does refer back to an actual curve. You start to see uh-huh. this show up in literature related to, to education uh, more than 100 years ago. And really? the answer is important because you've got to get these exactly right. On the uh-huh. bottom of the axis, you would plot performance. That is how well you do with this particular skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so across the horizontal axis. And on the vertical, uh-huh. you plot practice. How much, effort huh. the, how, many, how much effort or how much repeated um, exposure you need to learning this skill in order to improve. And then you could see a steep a steep learning curve would actually be accurate because your performance, um, you would only move a little bit to the right, and yet your graph line would be very steep for all the practice that you put in. Interesting. Okay. So you, so can, you can write this out as I'm talking about it, right? Just put the performance yeah, yeah, horizontal yeah. and the practice vertical right. and then draw a steep line, and it makes perfect sense. Okay, practice right. versus yeah. performance. Yeah. So, very interesting. In my head, I always had it reversed, right, where the horizontal axis would be practice or, or time, or, or something indicating mm-hmm. your effort. And the vertical would be, you know, your skill level rising. Um, so that's, yeah, reversing it then makes perfect sense. Well, it, I guess my question for you, in physics, do you tend to put the time on one axis over another? Is it usually... Oh, time hor- is always horizontal. Okay. <laughs> or I shouldn't say always, but, but very often. Okay, very good. And, uh, and, and I guess the other kind of metaphor that I have in my head when I hear the phrase is thinking of curve as literally like a mountain that I'm climbing, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. The goal is to get high. That, that would be the performance, if you will. I see. Um, and, and so, again, then that would be the reverse of uh, the, the way you've described it. Mm. Yeah, okay. many, many ways to interpret a graph, and, and on such subjects, theses are built. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, I hope we helped. I, hope that, I assume that your learning curve is rather steep, right? But uh, lots of practice, and you'll get that, that solved, right? We're, we're definitely hoping for performance, yeah, <laughs> but uh, a lot of practice involved. Matthew, good luck. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You have a question from your line of work? Call us, 877-929-9673, or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Gillian. I'm calling from Fort Worth, Texas. How are you? Oh, great. Welcome to the program, Gillian. What can we do for oh, you? Oh, thank you. Well... 
I have this question about this super long word that children, my daughter uses, and her and her friends try to say it as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. I've actually looked up the word, and it says it's a nonsense word. So I always wanted to know where the word came from, how it came into existence, and why is it so fascinating to children. And the word is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Uh-huh. Now, would you spell that for us? <laughs> Can I spell it? <laughs> S-U-P-E-R-C-A-L-I-F-R-A-G-I-L-I-S-T-I-C-E-X-P-I-A-L-I-D-O-C-I-O-U-S. Oh, my, my goodness. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Oh, man. <laughs> we have our script spelling bee, champ. <laughs> <laughs> One more time. No, just kidding. That is great. Have you been practicing? <laughs> We've been practicing for about five years with that word. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. And so it says spell it, and a couple of times I've gotten it wrong, and I said I'm going to beat this 10-year-old one day, and I'm going to spell <laughs> that word. <laughs> and so you're calling about supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, and what do you know about the word? What do you know about its provenance or its history? I don't know much about it, except it says it's a nonsense word in, the, in, in English language, meaning fantastic. And so how does fantastic translate into such a long, ridiculous word <laughs> <laughs> that kids love? Yeah, well, that's a fair question. Have you seen the movie Mary Poppins? I have not, but I've heard of it. All right. Th- uh-huh. Do you know that there's a song in the movie and the, the stage play by this name? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yeah, I've heard that song. Yeah. Uh-huh. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. I don't, can't do the rest of it. That's Can I do the um-did-a-little-little-um-did-lies? <laughs> well, that's, that's the place that most... Actually, was it in the stage play? I know it was in the movie, but that's the place that most people heard this word for the first time. Yeah, I know exactly. it, it wasn't in the books, the right. P.L. Okay. Travers books. It wasn't in those books. Books. And the movie was huge at the time. Mm-hmm. It was it was enormous, and it is still a constant favorite, even though Dick Van Dyke has the worst Cockney accent I've ever oh, seen, come on. seen on a human he being. Was, he and was so great in that movie. He was, his acting was good, but his voice was <laughs> atrocious, and somebody should have helped him out. And dancing? Yeah, his dancing. But in any case, so that's where most people came across supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Right. But it's actually a little older than that. There's some evidence, right, Marth, that it goes back maybe to the 1930s and mm-hmm. it was kind of floating around as a nonsense made-up mm-hmm. word. Because that's the thing. It's just a goofy word, a show-off word, just to kind of – it's a performance word. You say it just to show off and be a little smart-alecky and just kind of like, you know, we play with it. So. Yeah, yeah. But it's been around since the 1930s or so. There was actually a lawsuit about that use of the word in the movie mm-hmm. because some other people oh had uh, had written a song that was uh, somewhat similar, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, something like that. Oh. I mean, but it was spelled <laughs> differently. But similar. Yeah, but but the upshot of the lawsuit was that they didn't have any claim because the word had already been floating around, for one thing, and right. their song didn't sound like the song in the movie. Mm-hmm. So so it's been around. We don't know who invented it, but it's just one of those playful, crazy English words. And I'm imp- I'm imp- It doesn't have a word origin in other words. No, as far as we know, it doesn't. We can't pin it down. Uh, so much of the language is like that. But we do. Oh, I would say that Mary Poppins, the movie, is the popularizer, and sometimes the popularizer is more important than the coiner. Definitely. It was great talking to you about Gillian, this thank you for entertaining us so much. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Thanks a right, lot. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Well, if you want to talk about words, call us, 877-929-9673, or send your emails to words at waywardradio.org. More paraprosdokians for you, Grant. And this one is, you know, this one's funny, but it also is profound. War does not determine who is right, only who is left. Aha. Uh-huh. Right on. If you want to talk about language, call us, 877-929-9673, or send those emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, J.D. calling from Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Packers. Hello, J.D. Go Packers! <laughs> yeah, go Packers! <laughs> Welcome to the program, J.D. I have a challenge, especially with uh, the politics just winding down. Uh, oh, a, goody, are they? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't Forever? have to worry about my calls and uh, hearing political ads, and especially the negative ones that were 
all over the airwaves, but uh, there's, there's a phrase that I've been hearing, a, t- a word that I've been hearing by announcers uh, talking about the Democratic candidate. Mm-hmm. And they're referring to the, the candidate that's running as a Democrat, and they call him the Democratic candidate. And um, the Republican is called the Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm confused because I've always thought that a person is a Democrat or a Republican, and if they're a Democrat candidate, that's what they are. They're not a Democratic candidate because I always go, hmm, if they're a Democratic candidate, which party are they with? Ah, because they're in a democracy, right? And so it's a little right. bit confusing. To me, democratic uh-huh. is a process and not necessarily an, uh, an adverb or, or an adjective to describe, uh, you know, a noun. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, has, uh, you know, has, it, has it morphed? Has democrat morphed into democratic? And is that really acceptable? It's always been acceptable. It's been the standard form for as far back as the Democratic Party has existed. Um, and, and note that the name of the party is the Democratic Party. It is not the Democrat Party. And um, that right there has set the adjective in place for a long time, for ages and ages. Now, there have been various places throughout history where people have used Democrat to refer to a candidate as an adjective. Democrat, you know, the Democrat candidate for treasurer or the Democrat candidate for president. Um, And usually it was done innocently. But in more recent decades, maybe back as far as the 1940s, it depends on your source and how well you do your research, it began to be used by Republicans... Democrat, that is, not Democratic. Mm -hmm. Democrat began Mm -hmm. to be used as an adjective by Republicans for the very reasons that you explain, which is it's not quite right for the Democrats to solely claim to be Democrats, small d. And that's usually how they write it, too. They'll say Democrat, small d, to mean anybody who participates in our democratic system, right? And Democrat, big d, to refer to somebody who is a member of the Democratic Party. So, in any case, okay. democratic is the standard adjective you use. It is still the one preferred by every media organization that I have a style guide for. It is the one that I would recommend if you use democrat as an adjective to refer to a candidate to say, you know, the democrat candidate for treasurer, then you are setting yourself up immediately to be recognized as a, a partisan who is against that candidate. Does that make okay. sense? People are going to know that you you're probably a Republican or a conservative or that you, you have some kind of bias against that particular party or that particular candidate. And if that's fine, go for it. But if it's not, then just be careful. Okay. Ah, so if somebody asks me what party I belong to, I can tell them that I'm a member of the democratic process. <laughs> there we go. That <laughs> totally I'm works. Covered. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for your insight on that one. Oh, sure. Thanks, thank J.D. All right. Take Bye-bye. care. All right. Bye-bye. Jeff Nunberg, who does essays for Fresh Air once in a while, did mm-hmm. an essay on this a few years ago. He talked about Democratic versus Democrat. We'll link to that on our website. And also there's a great piece in The New Yorker by Hendrik Hertzberg. This also from 2006, I believe. He talks about the same phenomenon. What is the deal with people using Democrat where ordinarily Democratic would be used? It makes a big difference. That little, that little <laughs> the, ending makes a real difference. Yeah, the headline in The New Yorker article is really funny. It's the ick factor, and they spell it I-C. <laughs> so. Oh. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Give us a call, 877-929-9673. Talk to us about words and language in email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Ellen Johnson in Greenbelt, Maryland. Hi, Ellen. Welcome to the program. Hello, Ellen. Thank you. Hello. What would you like to talk with us about? I would like to know about an old-fashioned dessert, which I've never had. It's called the Blueberry Buckle. My sister-in-law found a recipe for it. I think she might have made it, but I haven't had it yet. And every summer, she usually brings me a bag of wild blueberries that she's picked up in Michigan. And um, I don't want to try this recipe until I know it's really good. But I just got to thinking about the word buckle and thought, well, that doesn't even really make sense because buckles are on your shoes and on your Mm -hmm. belts and why is it a blueberry buckle? Uh-huh. What, a, what a great question. Yeah, I, yeah. I, do you have any guesses? I, I have an answer. You do? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. So maybe you'll want to make it if you know the meaning of the word. Okay. Um, think of buckle here not as a noun, but a verb. Oh, 
Okay. I never okay. would have. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's odd. But if you think about it, I've never made it either, but I gather that it's got cake batter on the bottom and then it's got the berries and then it's kind of got this streusel top, this kind of crumbly uh-huh. top. And uh-huh. what happens is as the batter rises, it's not really strong enough to raise the berries and the streusel evenly. And yeah. so it rises here and there and it gives the cake this sort of Buckled uh, appearance. Like it looks pie tectonics. Yes, okay. exactly. Or like you know, bad asphalt in the road. It buckles. <laughs> or like an earthquake. Like mm-hmm. an earthquake. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So oh, now you're cool. going to try it. I well, I'm going to wait till next summer when she brings me more um, wild blueberries. Okay. Probably. And I'll have to ask her for the recipe, which I haven't done either. But and would yeah, you like our mailing address? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll send you a sample. I'll let you know. Okay. Great. So, Ellen, thank you so much for calling us. You're welcome. And Thanks if you do make our pleasure, and if you do make some of that, we insist on having some. Okay. All right, bye. Bye bye. Mmm. Pie. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Nothing more need be said. <laughs> Send your pictures of the best pie you ever made to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. If you didn't get a chance to talk with us today, you can leave us a message even when we're not on the air. Call us at 877-929-9673, or you can always email us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. You can also stay in touch with us on our discussion forums or look for us on Facebook under the username Wayward Radio. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. We've had production help this week from Josette Herdell and Jennifer Powell. Away With Words is independently produced and distributed by Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit organization. The show is recorded at Studio West in San Diego, California. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Ta-ta. So long. Then we must And Ever part that would break my heart. So I say, Erster, you say, Oyster. I'm not gonna stop eating Ersters just cause you say, Oysters. Let's call the whole thing off. Support for Away With Words comes from National University, where flexible online classes let you earn your degree or credential on your schedule. Learn more at nu.edu. Hi, it's Martha. Did you know that Away With Words is independently produced by a small nonprofit? To keep bringing you the show, we need your help. We welcome your contributions of any size. Go to waywardradio.org, click on Membership. Your donations do add up, and they make this program possible. Thanks. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's gum.fm slash words. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.